Lord, we do cry, holy, holy, holy. Lord, as I was studying your word one time, I realized that it doesn't say you're gracious, gracious, gracious. It doesn't say that you're humble, humble, humble. It doesn't say you're full of mercy, mercy, mercy. But what it does say, you are holy, holy, holy. Several times in scriptures, Lord, and we, your people, cry out to you today. You are holy, holy, holy. And Father, we want to be holy. Holier than when we, before we received you as Savior, holy because we're made holy by your son Jesus, his precious blood that was shed for us. And therefore, because of your righteousness that comes upon us, we are to live a holy life. Father, if I could repent for the whole church, I would do so. Not just this church, but the whole church of Christ around the world. I would do so. But Lord, it has to come from each individual. And they have to cry out, I want to be holy as you are holy. Because that's what the scriptures say. Be holy as he is holy. And Paul even said he could do that really is follow me as I follow Christ. Lord, today, Freedom Church and all that belong to it, cry out, we want your holiness in our life through your son Jesus. So Father, let our hearts cry out for holiness as we walk in this dark world. Make us holy to be seen as holy by the world around us so that they too can desire you, the holy, holy, holy God. To you be the glory, Lord. Today we want to hear what your Holy Spirit says to the church. Open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts to hear what you have to say. And Lord, don't let us just think that this is black ink on white paper. This is your words on white paper. Today, Lord, meet us where we're at, whether we be online or whether we be in this church today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated, church. You know, it really dawned on me just a couple weeks ago, you know, that Jesus is holy. <laughs> I mean, God is holy, holy, holy. No, no place else in Scripture three times. That tells us the priority that God should, God wants for us to be holy, holy, holy through his son, Jesus Christ. So today, for those online, you just tuned in. You're listening to Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches, and I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. We're glad you're here. We're here every Sunday at 10 a.m. So you're probably on our website. If you aren't, I'm going to give it to you anyhow. In case you want to, it's freedomchurchpb.org, freedomchurchpb.org. And the PB stands for Palm Beach because that's where we're at. We're at 2810 High Paluxo Road, Lantana, Florida, 33462. And if you're on I-95, if you're local, you go west on High Paluxo Road, and we're a quarter of a mile west on the right. If you go to Congress Avenue, you went too far. So back, go back about a quarter or a half a mile and look on the north side this time. But also, we're here every Sunday at 10 a.m., so invite your friends next week to watch online if you're out of state. And we have a lot of people that do that, and even in different countries. And we thank, uh, thank the Lord for all that. It's an opportunity to reach the world. Um, you can, uh, when you're on our website, you can read about what we believe in. We're a full gospel, Bible-believing church. I don't pass up the hard passages like Romans chapter 1 that we went through a few months ago. It, uh, you know, it, it's a tough chapter. And it tells you that we are people really are to be holy, holy, holy and not flaunt our sin, whatever it may be. And it tackles, you know, on, and that chapter tackles sodomy and adultery and all that kind of stuff. And we can't flaunt it. We're to repent of it. You can believe our beliefs. 
you can find our address. You can see our list of ministries. Uh, we can, you can watch past services, and you can even donate online should you feel uh, led to by the Lord. If you have a question, you can call me up at Freedom Church or 561-601-1130, 561-601-1130, and I'll be glad to take your calls. Um, see, I wanted to, for those that just tuned in, um, I wrote a book. It's called About Face. It's a wake-up call for the church. You know, you can go to Ulon um, Press. It's X-U-L-O-N, X-U-L-O-N, and they can send you out a copy for a, a price. Also, you can go to Barnes & Noble or site or Amazon site, and you can purchase the book. It's a wake-up call for the church, um, so um, it's, it's something that's needed today, something that's needed today for the church. It's 10 years in the making. Like I just sat down two weeks ago to write it up. I sat down 10 years ago and kept on adding and subtracting and, and pure, you know, um, editing and all that kind of stuff. There's some nice pictures in here. You know, it's really good pictures. I had to have them, you know, brought up in their DPIs to get them into the book. You know, front cover tells it all. There's a soldier standing in front of a mirror. That's a woman soldier. And she's dressed in civilian clothes, but as she looks in the mirror, she is a soldier dressed in fatigues. You know, and that's us. If you're, a, if you're Christ, you are in Christ, you are a soldier. And being a soldier of Christ, you might be dressed just like you are. You could have sandals and shorts and, and a hardtop hat or, you know, you can, you're a soldier. You forgot you're a soldier. You know, one way or the other, you're a soldier for Christ. And our captain... Is, is Jesus Christ. It's an eight-chapter book. It's about 180 pages long. You please buy it and read it because I believe it really is a wake-up call for the church. Okay? Um, let's see. That's about it. So one more thing, really, um, is I'd like to bring Max up here. Max, come on up here. Max walked into... He's 23 years old, this kid. He walked into this church on a Saturday morning men's group because he went online and found us online, and he came to the men's group. And there he, we led him to the saving knowledge of Jesus, although he was being prodded by other people along the way. But he came to know Jesus, and we don't, he, not only is this kid just saved, but we're training him up to be a disciple. And a disciple is a learner. You know, it's not just, hey, I'm a Christian, good, I'll go to church on Sunday, that's it. No, this kid is a disciple. He's already memorizing Scripture, um, already memorizing Scripture, and, uh, you know, um, it's amazing because he's challenging me already. And I've been a, so I've been a, a Christ, Christian for 45 years. <laughs> so, and he's challenging me and, and got my, me, me to review my verses and even study more verses. This is Max Zamelian Christopher Heike. You know, we took him down to the ocean. He baptized him there. And, uh, you know, his hands were in the air along with everybody else. And we went, Brett even preached to the, to the people on the beach. And it was, it was a cool situation. So um, I want to give him this to him to remember that was an important day. It was a day you, as a picture of the old man being dead and the new man rising up in Christ being born again. So we, Max, we, we thank you and for... Um, being obedient unto being baptized, as the scriptures say. So, for any of you out there or anybody here have never been baptized in water, we will be glad to baptize you, believe me. And you can have a day at the beach. <laughs> All right. Max, love you, brother. Now, Brownser was with him, and he got baptized, but I... I just found out he moved. <laughs> I don't know where to. I was going to give it, present it to him. Actually, Matt, I gave it to you. <laughs> uh, you know, I, if you can, if you're going to see him, yeah, maybe you could give it to him. Or if you don't think you'll see him, I'll leave it here at the church and we can give it to him if he ever comes back. I don't know where he moved to, but we're we're going to find out shortly. Anyway, as I said uh, to everybody uh, online. You know, before or everybody in the church at the first announcement, we're in Matthew chapter 14. 
So grab your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 14. We studied the first 21 verses last week. We're going to move into chapter 14, verse 22 of the Scriptures, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter. I don't think I'm going to get to the end of the chapter today, but um, but uh, if I do, that's fine. If not, we're going to continue next week. This ma- message today is really about the storms, the storms of life. You know, it's, that's what I titled it. Reasons for why God allows storms in our life. Reasons why God allows storms in our life. So I'm reading, going to read from the, the uh, New King James Version right here, and I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. I only think we're going to get to verse, um, you know, halfway through this, but anyway, let's read the whole chapter since we know, um, since we uh, will see the whole, the whole thing. Verse 22. After he fed the 5,000, chapter 20, uh, verse 21, just so you know that, verse 22 says this, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side while he sent his, the multitudes away. Remember, there's probably 10,000, 12,000 people there that Jesus fed the 5,000. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And said, Lord, if Peter said, if you are, if it is you, command me to come on the water to you. So he went. He said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And when he saw the winds were boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink, and he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they came to land, the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of the place recognized him, they sent out into the surrounding regions, brought him all who were sick, and begged him that they they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched it were made perfectly well. It's a beautiful chapter. People talk about this all the time. This is a reference to the storms of life, you know, uh, in, in, in life. But let me tell you this. John chapter 6 says, and we didn't study there lately, but in John chapter 6, verse 15, the people wanted to make Jesus king. Of course, he didn't want nothing to do with it. He was already a king. They just didn't know it, okay? They thought his kingdom was an earthly kingdom, and he was going to institute superficial, you know, institute a rebellion, basically. And that wasn't what Jesus was all about. So Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. Figure now, you know, he sent them off, and he said, until I meet you on the other side. That's what he said in, in the verses that we just read. I wait, and I will meet you on the other side. So they had a command with a promise. And we, too, have many commands within the Bible. Some scholars estimate, I went online to find this out, the promises in the Bible are said to be about 3,000 
all the way up to 3,553. That's on the internet. Some people say there's over 8,000 in the new, in the new, uh, in the King James version. And we even find out that there's 750 promises, commands with a promise, in the New Testament alone in the King James Version. Jesus gave them a command and a promise. He gave them the command to get in the boat, go over the other side, and he promised to meet them. But we're going to find out what happened as we, went, as we go on. They, for the promises, that they will make it to the other side because he was going to meet them there. They seemed to forget that promise. Jesus told them, go to the other side. So he went up on the mountain and began to pray. So Jesus gets into seclusion. He needs to talk to the Father, and so do you and I. We need to talk to our Father. And I mentioned last week, every time Jesus prayed, he didn't bow his head and close his eyes. He actually looked up to heaven. And I, where we get that, I don't know. I mean, I do it myself. Sometimes I leave them open. So you can pray with your eyes open. You can pray with your eyes closed. You can pray with your knees bowed. You can pray in your seat with your heart bowed and your knees bowed. You know, you can pray. Anyway, God loves you, and he wants to hear from you. He sent them in the boat. He told them that he wouldn't be with them on the other side. And he went up the mountain to pray. If you remember last chapter, we found out that John the Baptist was, was reported to him that he was, he was executed by Herod Antipas. So verse 24, But the boat was now in the middle of the sea. When Jesus was up on the mountain praying, the, the, the boat was in the middle of the sea. Five of the disciples, now remember, are fishermen. They know all about storms. They know all about boats. The boat was in the middle of the sea. The sea of Galilee is about seven to eight miles across. They're in the middle. They're about four miles out. It's dark. It's the middle of the night. The waves and the rain that's, that's going on, is, is uh, there's probably lightning. But they were heading into the wind, and they were making very little, if any, progress at all. Times were hectic, and these fishermen were scared. They were rowing probably for about eight hours right now. You know what? It took them about eight hours to get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, but today you can hop in your car and be in North Carolina from Florida, South Florida, and be there instantaneously. These, these guys would do anything to stay with Jesus. Mark says in his gospel that Jesus was watching them the whole time from the place on top of the mountain. That means it was a clear night. Jesus could actually see them in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, about four miles out from the mountain where he was at, and he could see them struggling. So what does he do? He, he, verse 26 and 20, 25 and 26, let me read them first. Now on the fourth watch of the night, that's about 3 to 6 a.m., rowing for about nine hours into the wind, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. They were shrieking. With fear, they were crying out. That tells you one thing. They probably were influenced by Pharisees because they did believe in, in the supernatural. They did believe that there were was a kingdom of heaven. So they obviously were, were that way. They were probably followers more of, of the Pharisees than the Sadducees. Jesus is walking on the water. Now, you've got to get the picture here. You see... And a lot, of, a lot of times when you see a picture of Jesus walking on the water, you see a calm lake. But that isn't the way it is. The waves, waves on, this, on the Sea of Galilee can get huge. It can actually sink a good-sized sailboat. He's walking on the water. And I'm trying to picture this myself. Did he go 
a straight line through the water walking on some air and then the waves, or, or did he just go up and down with the waves? I don't know. All I know is it was, there was chaos, there was disorder, and there was most likely headed for death if people get caught in that. And Jesus is walking on top of chaos, disorder. He's walking on disorder. It's amazing what God can do. But immediately he spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Literally, here's what Jesus says. Be of good cheer, it is I am his name. He said, Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Note, here it's important, that Peter is stepping out in faith. The other 11 disciples are still in the boat. Peter will always seem to jump on things right away. It got him in trouble many times, but it also, in this picture, you know, a lot of people read this passage and they say, oh, Peter sank. You know, Peter is the only other person that ever walked on water. He actually walked on water. He walked for a time on the water. And what happened, the storm just got the better of him. He's seeing the wind. He's seeing the waves. He, he took his eyes off to Jesus, and he began to worry, and he's starting to sink because he took his eyes off of Jesus. That's going to be one of the points in the flyer I just gave you that we're going to look up. He began to sink because he got sidetracked by everything that's around him. He took his eyes off of Jesus. And I don't know how many times from this pulpit I told him, you don't look at any pastor, you look at the master. That's who you look at. And that's what Peter was doing. But he took his eyes off of Jesus, and the minute he took off his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink. He and Peter prays the most elegant prayer that there is. Lord, save me. You know what? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, here's what you need to do. Cry out to him with your whole heart, not your head. Lord, save me, and he will save you from the fires of hell and destruction. And you will begin to have what it takes to walk over the chaos and the disorder within your own life. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. They're scared to death. But Peter says, If, listen, if it's you, command me to come out to you. So Peter steps out of the boat gets down and walks on the water to go to Jesus. And that tells you something right there. And if you're in the storm, the safest place to go is to be with Jesus. That's where you need to be. That's why you've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. If Peter, did, Peter had to take his eyes off of Jesus and begin to worry about the chaos and the disorder because the waves were probably rolling and rough and going this way and that way, there was wind, so these, this wasn't a rolling wave. This was slashing waves coming from any different direction. Gee, you know, he got his eyes off of Jesus, and he began to sink. It says here in verse 30 that he saw the saw that the wind was boisterous. He was afraid and began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. And that's what you need to do. That's what every American needs to do. That's what every African needs to do. That's what every Japanese person needs to do. We all need to cry out to Jesus, save me, whether what country you are in. Here's four steps that, that you can happen if you lose faith. What happened was, number one, I already covered it, you took your eyes off of Jesus because of fear on what the situ situation is in your life. He began to focus, and you began to focus on the elements around you instead of the Lord who's before you. This happens to us all the time. Fear sets in. He begins to sink. And if fear will set into you, then you will begin to sink in this world. You have to have faith. <coughs> and that's what Jesus said, as we just read. Oh, Peter, you have little faith. I'll cover more of that when we get to it. The key 
to walking in a storm of your life is to keep focus on Jesus. You must do it today. Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, lost his focus. He begins to sink, and he cried out, as I said, one of the most elegant prayers in the Bible, Lord, save me. Some versions just say this, help, help. You don't have to have a flowery prayer. You don't have to have an eloquent speaker. You don't have to have an eloquent prayer. All you got to do is have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ because he knows exactly what you're saying even before it's out of your mouth, even before it gets to your heart, he knows what's going to happen. This is a true prayer. It's not pious. It's straight to the point. Save me. He knew he was going down. You have to be, and so do I. We have to know the simple truth. And as we read to the end of this chapter, when he got to the other side, all these people wanted to do, they, didn't, they knew, all they had to do was touch the hem of his garment, which was most likely told about the woman who touched him, his garment, and was healed of her 12-year bat with an issue of blood, making her an unclean woman. Peter, for a short time, walks on water, but then he takes his eyes off of Jesus. Verse 31 through 33. The end of the chapter, almost. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand. How quickly? Immediately. He stretched out his hand. That's how quick God hears your prayer. Immediately. He stuck out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they had got into the boat, the winds, when he had got into the boat, the wind ceased. And they said this, truly, you are the Son of God. Number one, you've got to ask, take your, keep focus on Jesus. You've got to ask Jesus into your boat that's sinking or to your storm that's trashing you. And you have to have faith. Faith. Faith moves mountains, as you well know. Why do we doubt? Listen, you've been a Christian, who knows, 50, 60 years, or maybe just a year. 45 years for me, I think I had more faith when I was a new believer. I really do. We're supposed to grow in grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to have faith that moves mountains. Today, when I pray, I, back when I was younger, Christian, Mountains were moved out of my way. i got to say that. It was like God had your hand and he's walking through it. But as you grow in the Lord, the Lord no longer, you're a toddler now in the Lord, and the toddler is told to come walk to Daddy. you got to walk on your own. And that's what we have to have growth in our faith. As, you, as a young person goes to be a teenager, you know, he has to have his own faith. He has to, he can't, Hitchhike on his mother or father's faith. He has to have his own faith. But as I became a teenager in the Lord, you know, I start learning scriptures, and people are telling me, well, God doesn't always do this, and he don't always do that. And that may or may not be true, but it hindered my faith. I really, I've mentioned before, I had a neighbor two doors up the street. She was blind. She was born blind. And I actually, with other people, laid my hands on her and prayed that she would see. I really thought she could, would see. But you know what? She passed away a few years ago, and I know that she never saw. But as far as I was concerned, I was, I was to have faith that God can heal, it, heal her and give her her sight. Today, I hesitate. Why? I'm supposed to be growing in grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. As you get grown up in the church, people come to you and say, well, God doesn't always heal. I check the scriptures, and I see here that everybody that touched Jesus was made perfectly well. I think of Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who heal, who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases, and delivers your life from the pit. Which verses am I going to focus on? You know what? God wants you to focus on the faith. 
not on the doubt. He's accomplishing something in each of our lives. He gets in the boat, and truly, you know, they say to him, truly, you're the Son of God. And they actually began to worship him. You know, everybody else, all angels, when they came to earth and people tried to bow down before them, they said, get up, I'm just a servant of God like you. But not Jesus. He always accepted their worship. And guess what? God the Father kept on healing people through him. And the Pharisees were asking for a sign. What kind of sign could he give them? He just healed 11 people in the first chapter 7, 8, and 9 of, of Matthew's gospel. 11 miracles right in a row, and now they want another sign. He healed lepers. He opened the eyes of blind. He, dead people were raised, and they want a sign. What's he want to do for them? You know, what's he, how, how else can he answer them? It's there. He did what he said. He fulfilled the scriptures that were promised of the Messiah. Jesus' hands are already there, ready to save you, church. Can a woman forget her, un her suckling child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, these may forget, yet, there's God speaking, I will never forget you. I have you gray engraved on the palms of my hand. I, my, thy walls are always continually before me. Isaiah 59, verse 1. You should know this verse. The Lord's hand is not so short that he cannot save. Did you notice that when Peter, when Jesus reached out his hand, it wasn't like the Fantastic Four you see on TV where his arm got longer. Peter was right there, right in front of him, face to face, and he began to sink. And God, the Lord was right there, and his hand is not so short that he cannot save. He might be in heaven interceding for you right now, which is where he's at, but he can still save you. His arm is not so short that he cannot save, nor his ear so dull that he cannot hear. Remember Hagar? Remember Hagar? You remember her. The day Isaac was was um, weaned or circumcised. I forget. Weaned or circumcised. I'm not sure. I forget. But Hagar was put out because Sarah got very jealous. And, ha and Ishmael was taunting Isaac. And God, the Lord put her out. Abraham sent her away. He put her, her at, at Sarah's discretion. She said, I want her out of this house. She went into the desert. She was only given a, a bunch of water and food for maybe a couple of days. She's out there in, in trouble, out there in trouble. She felt she was abandoned. Now she's a single mother in the desert at Sarah's bidding. Her, her, she was abandoned by her family that she belonged to. There was a wilderness between her and her son. She had little provision with very little help or hope. She was wondering. She was questioning, God, are you there? Maybe you're that way. Maybe you're, you're questioning. Maybe you're wondering, is God, are you there? Do you even care about me? Yes, he does. He loves you. Does anyone care? That's where you're at. So she's crying. She's broken. She's rejected. She's lost her. She's lost in her despair. But Jesus is walking on the chaos of life over her. Hagar thinks nobody's there. But by the end, the Lord sees her 
and she names the place, you know, the God who sees, El Roy, E-L, capital R-O-I, El Roy, the God who sees. God sees you in your distress. He saw Peter sinking. He may see you sinking now. The advice is to get your eyes on Jesus and cry for help. That's what we need to do, just like Hagar. And the Lord provided water and food for her as she began calling upon the Lord. And that's what you need to do. Call upon me in your day of trouble, and I will answer you, says the Lord. And I will give you a future, and I will give you a hope. So don't have faith. I mean, don't not have faith. You have to have faith. Why do we doubt these things when we're in the storms of life? As soon as they got into the boat, Peter and Jesus, the wind ceases. Back in chapter 8, of, he rebuked the wind and the sea. And when he got into the boat, they were immediately at dry land. And again, they were in the center of the Sea of Galilee. When they get into the boat, two miracles happen. Number one, the storm stops. And in John chapter 6, immediately they came to the shore. As soon as Jesus stepped in the boat, they were like four miles ahead already on dry land. And that's what can happen. When you were God in your storm... He can take you out of the storm just like that and put your feet on dry land. When the Egyptians were at the Red Sea, or when, when Abraham or Moses was at the Red Sea, Pharaoh was chasing them to destroy them. They found themselves in, in, a, in a bad situation. They had a mountain on the north, a mountain on the south. They had the Red Sea in front of them, and the Egyptian army is coming from the west and coming at them. And God parts the waters and holds back the Egyptian army with fire, parts the water, and now that chaos of the Red Sea is gone. The flowing lake splits, and all of a sudden, there's dry land. And the, the Hebrews just walked across under the water. Jesus, God, stopped the chaos and the disorder that was before them, and he can do that with you. You might feel trapped, but there's a way out, and the way out is calling upon Jesus. But you have to have faith. Peter had faith, and for a time he walked on the water. And when they came to dry land, after they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into the surrounding regions, brought to him all who were sick, and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. As many as touched it. Not just some people, as many as touched it. But that guess what? That touch that you're stretching for his garments is faith that makes you come out of the problem. So listen, in your flyer that you got there before you, on the one side it says three types of storms. And we're going to do this page. And then there's six reasons why God allows storms. We'll probably catch up next week on the remaining uh, verses. But, the study is three types of storms, six reasons why God allows storms in our life, four principles to learn in the storm, and seven things about the storm of life, storms of life. There's three types of storms. You've got to understand this. There's a storm you can hide from. You can hide from the storm. How about this one? Hide me under the shelter of your wings. You can seek shelter under the wings of the Lord, like a mother hen gathers her chicks and guards them as a predator might try to come to get them. You are guarded. 
You're, you're in God's shadow. The enemy can't see you because you're hiding in God. God's still there. And he is really all you need. We actually sang it today. Jesus is the answer to every question. Jesus is the answer to every problem. You are my help. And where it comes from, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer to all your problems. You've got to invite him into your boat. You've got to invite him into your storm. And I guarantee you, you will. the storm will be quickened to an end, just like the boat was on the other side of the lake as soon as Jesus stepped into it. So there's storms that you can hide from. There's storms that you can rebuke. What did Jesus do in Matthew chapter 8? He rebuked the winds and the sea. He said, hush, be still. And it was hushed, and it was still. I got some verses there, but those weren't the verses I quote you. If you're taking notes, you want to add, hush, be still, which is Mark 4, 39. You want Matthew 8, 26 also, and Luke 8, 24. It says that he rebuked the winds. You need to rebuke the storm. You have a part in this. You're going to fight your way out also. And you're going to fight your way out as a soldier of Christ because you're, you're getting out of the storm because now Jesus is on your side. The captain is in the boat with you. There's storms you can rebuke like Mark 11, 22 and 24 where it says, you know, you have faith in God. And if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and don't doubt in your heart, but believe that what you said will happen, that God will grant it to you. That is a rebuke. You are rebuking that mountain in front of you. It's not Mount Everest. It might be Goliath. It might be a situation in your life. You don't have a job. You need a job. It could be anything. You have to have faith that God's going to give it to you. Faith that moves mountains. And God God does not say, you move. He does not say, pray to me and I'll move the mountain. He says, you move the mountain. And how you move that is by faith. That's how you move mountains, by faith. If you say to that mountain in your life, be gone, it's gone. Keep on praying it if it doesn't respond the first time. Just keep on praying it. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened. For everyone who continually asks, who continually seeks, who continually knocks, it shall be done for him the next verse. It will be done. That's called faith. Number three times, here's the other third storm. Remember, storms you can hide from. You get in God's shelter. Read Psalm 90, 91. There are storms you can rebuke. It could be demonic activity in your, in your life at that point. And there are storms you must endure. You must endure some storms for a while. Ephesians 6, 13 and 14 says, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Sometimes you have to, you know, get be in the storm. Jesus knew there was a storm coming, but yet he sent the disciples into the storm. You know what? But he left them a promise, and we have all kind of promises in the Bible, over 3,000 of them. He left them a promise you go to the other side, and I'll be there. I'll I'll see you there. Here's the application for those storms. Number one, a storm will build you up, or it'll tear you down. Where? Which side are you going to go with? It'll build you up. Storms will build you up. I I, I could tell you a number of situations in my life. It built me up. The storms in my life led me to Bible college. 
and out of the depravity of a, of a half, halfway Christian, a lukewarm Christian. It settled me down. That storm just put me right where I should have been all along. Storms strengthen you and not the, they don't destroy you. Your faith will grow. Storm can strengthen or it can destroy you. You are the words of your mouth that come out actually dictate your life. Read James chapter 3 and verse 6. Maybe I'll read it for you. James chapter 3 verse 6. Indeed, well, let's go up to verse 6. I was reading the third verse. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles our whole body, and it sets on fire the course of nature, or your life, and it is set on fire by hell. Your words are important. What you say. A word can defile your whole body, or it can, and it will direct the course of your life, and that's in the wrong direction, as you can well see. So let the word, your words, build you up. Number three, storms turn, storms turn a test to a testimony where you can give your testimony to people in church and, and move them along, along the way. And they would get bitter, better and not bitter. Which is another point. A storm can make you better or bitter. You have a choice. And it's all by the words of your mouth. Number five. It turns a trial into a triumph. I was triumphant through that trial. I'm, I'm not saying it because of me, but the big trial that I went through, God made me triumphant, and he strengthened me. And instead of a halfway lukewarm Christian, which Jesus is going to spit out of his mouth, he led me to fire red hot Christian. He turns a trial into a triumph. And I'm here to tell you now that God causes all things to work together for the good. If you love him and you're called according to a purpose, there's a condition. Do you see that? A lot of people quote that verse, but they don't get the conditions. And I know all things work together for the good. Number one, to those who love him. Do you love Jesus? Do you love God? Question. Not saying you love him, but do you truly love him? Do you truly want to talk with him all day long? Like you talked to your spouse when you were engaged to be married. You can have a personal relationship with him, not something, hey, God... Make, try to make a bargain with God. It don't work. You can't bargain with God. He wants you to, to know him, to seek, for him, seek him with your whole heart. Number six, he turns the victim that the devil was making you into a victor. You're not now a victim, you're a victor. And you have, you have uh, victory through Christ. Remember, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That's a pretty powerful statement. You've got to really think about it. The same spirit that lived in Christ lives in you. Every one of us will face storms of testing. Every one of us. Not some of us. You'll, you will be tested. Not tempted. 
If you're being tempted, that's the devil. Because there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And also, you have to be called according to his purpose. You have to be fulfilling what God called you to do as a believer. A lot of believers just sit in church and go to church every Sunday, maybe even midweek, maybe even evening services. But on a Monday morning, they're the same individual they were and not the same person that went to church on Sunday. You will face times of testing. There will be times of trial. There will be times of hardness. It's just part of life. There's no way around it. There's n no one is exempt to it. I don't care if you're a billionaire. You are not exempt to the trials and the storms of life. But they're meant to make you better, to, pair, to build you up, not tear you down, to strengthen you and not destroy you, to make you better and not bitter, to turn a test into a testimony where you give glory to God. It take you, you know, the, the trial is turned into a triumph and you're no longer a victim, you're, a vic you're in victory. Read the book. James 1, 2, first chapter, second verse. Here's what he says. When you fall into trial, it doesn't say if you fall into a trial. It says when. That means they're going to come. Jesus said this in Matthew 24 through 27. He said, the rains came, and the flood and the waters came and flooded the earth, and those who were founded on the rock were, were taken care of. Je Job said it this way, and I love it, 23.10, Job 23.10. He, God, knows the way I will take, and when he has tried me or tested me, I will come forth as pure gold. That's faith that Job is operating by. He says, I know, the, he knows the way I take, but I know when he has trialed, tried me, I shall come forth as pure gold, refined and purified. Pure gold. So here's six reasons, and I'm going to go for them real fast because we're about out of time. Storms are for God's glory. In Isaiah 42, verse 8, it says, here's what God says, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not share my glory with anyone. God deserves the glory. When you come out of that trial, it wasn't you that did it. It was God who did it. One person came up to me you know, years back, and they said, if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't be a pastor. I said, well, you meant to destroy. God made better. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Storms are for your correction. You know what? Jonah was thrown overboard because he was told to go to Nineveh and he hopped the boat going the other direction. So it was to correct Jonah. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel and he, he went the other way. So this trial for Jonah was for his correction. There's also storms of perfection. He will keep you in perfect peace, all those who trust in him, whose thoughts turn often to the Lord, Isaiah 26.3. They're for perfection, to make you a better person. Number four, storms provide an opportunity so you can give glory to God. Again, you could use Job 23.10 here. But he knows the way I take, and after I have been tested, I shall come forth as gold, as pure gold. 
Number five, there's storms of protection. Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord, and God spared him and his entire family. God says, I'll protect you. You just be still and know I'm God. Just be still and know I'm God. He protects you. Oh, Jesus, as he looked over Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to gather you under my wings like a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. There's probably a lot of people out there who are doing that right now. God wants to gather you under your wings, as are his wings, and you're saying no. And you will lose your protection. Number six, there are storms of direction. Isaiah, or uh, Acts 27, 42 through 44, Paul was in a shipwreck. He was headed for Rome. He was supposed to witness before Caesar. There was a big storm that crashed the boat. He ended up in Malta, an island. God had, God didn't want him to get a one-way solid flight to to Rome. He had a stop for him to make. So this storm in Paul's life in Acts 27 was for direction. There was an island called Malta on the way, and those people needed to be saved because they were calling out to God, and they were interesting. And Paul preached the gospel, got bit by a viper. They thought for sure he was going to die, but Paul was protected by the Lord. And he began to preach to to. Uh, Malta to the to the people there, and they repented and they got saved because God had uh, had to change Paul's direction. It wasn't just a one-way trip and nonstop. It was a nonstop trip trip to Rome that was planned by the Roman guards, but God had a stop for it to make, and they ended up in in Malta. The mind of man. You plan your way, but God directs your steps. Let me ask you, did you plan your way for eternal life? Have you looked at your eternal future? God's trying, if you've heard sermons maybe all day, all day long, God's trying to get you focused into the direction that he is going. So as you're planning your ways, God is working to bring you into his plan of things. Some people just say no and they walk away. And they won't get under the wings of the Lord and be protected by him. And therefore, they remained a, they remained a victim. They, they aren't victorious in anything. They're not better people. They're worse people. They're bitter people. And their lives have been torn down. So we need to know that. Storms are for God's glory. Storms are for correction. Storms are for perfection. Storms are for opportunity. And storms are for protection and direction. And next week we're going to study the back side of that, that paper of yours. So save it for next week. Okay? It's the one with the bigger picture on front. We're going to cover four principles to learn in the storms and seven things about the storms of life next week. So I hope it was kind of clear uh, what's going on here and for us to have, have faith in God. Let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Father God, today we come to you in Jesus' name. We love you, Lord. We just heard from your word. You know, it doesn't matter how eloquent we were. What it matters is, was your, your word used, and has it been directed towards a person's heart? And, Lord, I pray that you open these people's hearts over the Internet or even here today, that their hearts might be open to follow after Jesus. And if they're in a trial, let them be courageous and wise enough to, to be like Peter, to just cry out, Lord, Save me. 
In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, everybody. I love you all. Tune in next week at 10.